All right, thanks, Bill. God bless you. Welcome, everyone. And it's good to gather together, even though we're doing it over the internet, uh, to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And last week was Easter, and we celebrated the Easter season. And we're going to take this Sunday and next week just to share um, just a timely word, uh, not a series, but just a word that uh, we feel God has put on our hearts concerning facing some of the troubles that we are encountering in this day. And so the title of this morning's sermon is, Where is Jesus? And the idea is, where is Jesus when there's uh, storms of life, when there's difficulty? And just as an introduction, I'd like to share that my, my view or my perspective on sickness and uh, disease is, is a little different than many people. As a pastor, I often are um, called in when uh, people have serious sickness or go to the hospital to visit people when they're um, being treated for something. And um, so two things, primarily when I was young, shaped my understanding of sickness and disease, and I think it's, it's different. Actually, well, the two major things I want to talk about. Uh, and the one is that when I was in third grade, I was, I was um, probably about seven, maybe eight. I uh, came down with a very serious disease, uh, uh, autoimmune disease, and I was hospitalized for over a month and was unable to walk for uh, several months. I remember my older brothers carrying me around the house to come out to eat or go to the bathroom. And so that uh, significantly changed. I missed almost a whole year of school. Um, and so as a child, that was very impactful. But then a few years later, I was probably 10 or 11, my father came down with an extremely serious um, uh, sickness, a genetic, uh, he inherited a kidney disease. My grandmother, his mother, died from it. And um, my father had the same disease. And um, basically, his kidneys shut down and... This was back in the 70s, and he was uh, being treated with a kidney uh, dialysis machine, which at that time were still massive machines. Now they're little compact things. Even by the end of his treatment, uh, many years later, they had uh, improved so much. But when he first got sick, there, was, there were several years where it was extremely, extremely difficult. He spent more time in the hospital than he did out. And um, he had a kidney transplant, but it didn't work. And so they tried to make it work. And so he spent, uh, they tried to make it keep by reducing his Im immunity. And so my father was placed on the social distancing isolation. He was in an isolation room uh, for almost an entire year. He went into the isolation room before the leaves had come out in the spring and through his window, he watched the trees bud and the leaves grow the entire summer. Fall came, and he wasn't discharged until uh, the leaves were gone from the trees. So you can imagine that length of time. And during that time, uh, the only visitor that he could have was my mother, and she would have to be completely gowned up, uh, covered from head to toe, uh, no one else was allowed, I remember as a little boy, waving to him from the hallway. Because if he had any infection at all, he would die. 
And, um, and, so, and then for years, uh, we lost count, my siblings and I lost count, uh, as to how many surgeries he had over the ensuing years. He ended up living um, with the disease for 30 years. He died when he was 60. He got sick when he was 30. Um, but during those years as a child, I would spend countless hours in the hospital. I would go with my mother as she went to spend time with my father, and I would just hang out in the cafeteria. I actually like hospital food. It's like home cooking. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm comfortable in hospitals. They don't freak me out. And uh, later in his life, my father's, uh, he always had difficulties, but he learned how to live with it. I, I told him that that experience shaped me, and, and I could not be the pastor that I am if I hadn't had that training by being able to uh, endure seeing loved ones suffer in, in sickness. So I just have a different perspective. To me, it's not a big surprise. It's actually more of a surprise for me uh, when people are, are healthy for, and, and live their whole life. You know, my father was strong. He was a strong man and just did everything. And I saw sickness debilitate him. And uh, he never complained, uh, never once said a word of complaint through all those years. And, um, and so this shaped my view of facing hardship. And I want to share with you what, uh, a, a scriptural view of, of, of disease, but also trouble, trials, tribulation. Where is God when we're facing difficult times in life? We're, we're all facing the time of dealing with the consequences of the pandemic, but p- many people are facing other difficulties, uh, fighting cancer or, or other uh, serious diseases or other ailments or uh, the economic crisis that this has thrown many people into. There's many, many difficulties in life, and we need to know how to get to God during difficult times. So I'm going to read a familiar story from the New Testament uh, but hopefully look at it from a little bit of a different perspective than what you're used to. It's found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. I wonder what this looked like. And so I just googled a few images. Here we have kind of like Jesus the surfer dude. He's, if you look at his hands, he's, he's the surfer dude, all right? And in that kind of boat, what's the number one rule? Don't stand up. <laughs> he's like, Jesus the surfer dude. I don't think it looked like that. Uh, and this is kind of like Jesus Shazam, 
<laughs> you know, the Shazam Jesus, the superhero, the Marvel uh, uh, Universe Jesus, where he just can, he can do it. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it looked like that either. Um, I like this. This is kind of like the Van Gogh-inspired Jesus. <laughs> Starry night, you know. This is definitely a tripping Jesus. This is, this, this is Jesus on a trip. Um, but probably my favorite is the, uh, the uh, Sunday school curriculum version. <clears throat> Just cartoon Jesus. And so the truth is we don't know what it looked like. Uh, we don't know. The question is, where was Jesus uh, during this time? He was in the middle of the storm. That's, I think, the, the biggest point I want to draw from this. And, and that will carry throughout this message. Jesus was right in the middle of it. And he was asleep. I can, I can relate to that. Uh, I travel a lot, many of you know. <clears throat> I actually like turbulence because it's the only way I can sleep on an airplane. <clears throat> Seriously, I'm praying for turbulence when other people are praying for calm. Because once the airplane starts rocking, it just like rocks me to sleep. And it puts me to sleep every time. I love it. <laughs> Some people take this story and draw out of it that you only have the power to calm the storm that you can sleep through. And I think that's kind of nice, but that's not at all what I want to focus on. I want to look more at the interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And so Jesus was calm because he was secure in who he was. He, he wasn't frightened by the, the storm. He was asleep. But the disciples... Uh, had a different reaction. They woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care? And I would like to point out to you that that's really an accusation. They were assuming that Jesus didn't care about their situation, didn't care about them. Accusations and fault-finding are really a manifestation of lack of faith. When you find yourself in the middle of a storm, don't start accusing others or looking for fault or looking for who's to blame. Rather, look for faith. How can we respond in a way that demonstrates faith? Right now, uh, there's a lot of accusation going about who's to blame. Listen, it's a virus no one's to blame. These things happen. They've happened throughout all of human history. We've had the benefit of about 100 years without a major pandemic. But if you look through history, it was actually more common than uncommon. The other thing that accusation reveals um, is a manifestation not only of a lack of faith, but of fear. And so that their fear caused them to accuse Jesus of not caring and I would say in uh, so much of the media right now and so much of the talk that's going around, there's lots of accusations and there's lots of fear. And both are a sign that people are not stable and settled in their faith. And I challenge us as Christ followers to have a different response than accusation or fear. To have a response of confidence. Uh, and to look to our Lord Jesus and realize that he's right there in the middle of the storm. And Jesus' response was silence, be still. It says he's, he's told that to the, the waves and the storm, 
But I'm sure the disciples heard it to them. <laughs> you know, was he talking to us? Not only did it calm the storm, but it silenced their accusations. But Jesus' response actually replaced what the disciples feared, a storm, uh, with something far more frightening. If you remember the verse, they were afraid of the storm. They woke him up. Jesus calmed the storm. And then it says they were absolutely terrified. And so they were actually more afraid after Jesus calmed the storm. The Greek words there is an exaggerated form of fear. They were terrified at what they had just seen. Can you imagine being in a boat? And they were trying to wake Jesus up to help see if he'd help get them to shore. But he just stood up and calmed the storm. This is, this is what I want us to see. Someone more powerful than nature itself. When they realized that Jesus was far more than what they were, thought he was, it terrified them. Who is this man, they said. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus' response did not remove the disciples' fear. It actually magnified it. All right? They were afraid of the storm, but they were absolutely terrified of Jesus. So what's the point of this story that I want to draw out for today's message? Don't be afraid as long as Jesus is on your boat. All right? Be terrified. Don't be afraid. I mean, that's the lesson of this, this story. There's not another line after the story. It ends with his disciples being terrified at Jesus. Because they realized this Jesus who was on their boat was far more powerful than, than anything they could possibly imagine. The point of the story is Jesus is more powerful than anything that this world can throw at us. Whether it be a virus, a war, economic disruption, Jesus is far more powerful. And we need to have, uh, uh, the disciples needed to have their fear factor recalibrated. And we need to have our fear factor recalibrated. If, we're, if we understand the power and the influence that our Lord Jesus Christ has, we don't have to be afraid of the things that cause fear in the world. Because Jesus is more powerful than anything the world can throw at us. I want to hear some amens. <laughs> Type amen. <laughs> All right. So this takes me to another very obscure passage in Scripture. In fact, this is one of those verses that most people skip over. I've never heard a sermon on it. In fact, I've never preached on it. Uh, because it's a little challenging. I, sh I was talking with Pastor Mark, and I shared that I was uh, using this passage, and I, I quoted it to him. He was like, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> well, let's read it. Habakkuk. Um, chapter 3, verse 4 uh, through 6. And it's a vision, it's a prophetic vision, Habakkuk, who was an Old Testament prophet, was having of Jesus. 
And um, you know, I'm not going to go into the uh, immediate context of it or the historical context. I could, and there's lots of lessons in that. I want to zero in on one particular lesson from this that's actually quite simple and I think the most profound. It says, His coming, speaking of our, our, our Lord, His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from His hands where His awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. This, oops, sorry. There we go. This is a very awkward description of God. It starts out really marvelous. His coming is as brilliant as a sunrise, right? Rays of light flash from his hands. That's the, that's the Savior we want. But then this passage, this, this verse in the middle, describing the Messiah, actually, the, our Lord and God, our Savior, pestilence, which means disease, or sickness, marches before him, plague follows close behind. What do you do with that? I mean, what's it saying there? And I, the, the main point I want to bring out of this is just like Jesus was in the boat in the middle of the storm, in this passage, where do we find God? in the middle between pestilence and plague. He's right there in the middle. And I ask you not to get sidetracked on a theological debate about who's to blame. Is God bringing the pestilence? Or is it the fault of sinful people? And again, if you look at the historical application of this in the, prophet, in the prophet's time, speaking of God's enemy, you could tie that in. But I don't think that's the main point. I think the main point, and the point that really matters, is to learn a very simple truth from this verse. That God is in the middle, He's in the midst of the worst of human suffering. If you want to find God, you look to where people are having pain and problems, and where there's suffering, where there's poverty, and God is in the midst of that. He responds to the heart's cry of people when they're, having, uh, when they're experiencing hardship. God is in the middle of it. I don't think this verse is saying God caused the plague or the pestilence. I think he's saying that he's in the middle of it. He doesn't hide from our pain. He doesn't hide from our problems. He doesn't hide from tribulation. He actually embraces it. Remember Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But don't be afraid, because I have overcome the world. Why can we not have fear in the midst of trouble and tribulation? Because Jesus is right there with us through it. It says, when he looks, the nations treble, tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. God uses these difficulties to bring down what we think as humans are uh, impenetrable fortresses. 
And the image that the prophet uses are mountains or hills that we think last forever, but with one look, God can bring something that seems impenetrable to its knees. And we're seeing that in our day. Governments, nations, uh, industries brought to their knees in, in the matter of weeks. But God isn't brought to his knees. All right? God wants to use these times to bring people to him. It's how he gets people's attention. God uses trouble and hardship, pestilence and plague to get people to realize that they need a God, that they need a Savior. The prophet concludes this uh, passage, uh, and you can read through it. This is actually a very famous verse because it expresses the prophet's faith. It says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, in our day we would add, even though the stock market crashes and the banks close. <laughs> right? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This expression of faith in the midst of difficulty, uh, loss, and barrenness is the response that we need to have. We don't need a lot of faith when the water is calm and it's a sunny day. We don't need a lot of faith when we're in the midst of economic prosperity and abundance. But when storms come like the disciples faced and they were afraid for their life, they needed faith. Or when pestilence and plague comes, like we're seeing uh, uh, going across the whole world, we need faith. We need to be able to turn to a God that's supernatural, that's more powerful than what anything in this world and of course, we thank God for medical treatment, and we, we pray a, a blessing on them, but we're also believing for God to intervene and bring about a, a redemption and relief and healing for all who turn to Him. And my question to you is, like Habakkuk the prophet was able to rejoice and to be joyful, even though there wasn't anything outwardly to rejoice over, can we be joyful in this time? Can, that, can we replace accusations and fear and grumbling with joy and, and praise and confidence? Uh, can we have the knowledge that God is my salvation, that I don't turn to my job or uh, other things for my security? And this brings us to the last verse of uh, the message today, and this is found in uh, the letter James wrote to the church. And um, uh, James 1, verse 2 through 4. And he's writing this to the church after they were scattered abroad because of persecution. They had, uh, the church in Jerusalem had grown very, very large, but then the, the Romans um, assaulted the city, and as a result, uh, everyone, all the population of Jerusalem fled throughout all of, uh, of Asia and uh, eventually up into Europe. 
And this actually caused the gospel to be spread throughout uh, that, the known world at that time because the Christians were forced to flee and, and, and uh, found, uh, raise up churches in all the different Gentile cities. And James writes to the believers who were scattered, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That, that's the word of the Lord. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity to rejoice. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. There's something interesting about this verse. In it, there's no accusation. It doesn't even address who's at fault for bringing the troubles. Or even what kind of troubles. In some older translations, it says temptations. But the word there in the context means any kind of trouble. And, and what he was actually describing was the trouble of not being able to gather with people you love because they were scattered abroad and losing their homes and losing their jobs because the, the city was actually destroyed. There's no accusations. Rather, he says, there's, this is an opportunity for great joy. In fact, this verse says that in order to be whole, in order for our endurance to be made complete or to become mature, we need suffering. As Christians, we need to understand that God values suffering because it's when we can learn how to respond in a faith-filled way to hardship grows our endurance. It makes us stronger, better Christians. And uh, if you need any more proof than, than these verses, just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus' Jesus's call to his disciples was, follow me. And then what happened to him? Did he live a long, prosperous life? No. At one point he says, I don't even have a home. He was homeless. And at the end of his ministry, even his closest followers ran away. And he was arrested, beaten, tortured, and nailed to a cross. And following Christ means being willing to suffer tribulation, even martyrdom, if, if, if unfortunately most of us aren't called to that, but we are called to carry our cross daily and die to ourselves. And that makes us stronger. I challenge you to look to these verses and look to the truth of who God is in the middle of the storm so that we can have a place where we can find joy and we can find confidence and we can respond to the fear and the accusations that are bombarding us with a different response. And that's a response of, of joy, a response of faith a response of peace, that we can speak peace and we can change the atmosphere by what we say and what we do by leading a Christ-like life. It's okay to feel fear. 
I'm not saying that's wrong. Uh, it's okay to experience uncertainty and anxiety because everything's falling apart. That's okay. It's what you do in that time. When you start experiencing that, I challenge you to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to him. Find him. Realize that he's right there with you. You know, the Bible says that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Why? Because he will never leave me nor forsake me. Even when the circumstances, like we saw in the story of the disciples on the boat, or we saw in the prophecy uh, from the Old Testament, or we read in the letter that James wrote, even though their circumstances surround us are terrible, we can have confidence because he's with us. So I'm going to end with this question. Who's in your boat? Is Jesus in your boat? And I like it that it wasn't Jesus' boat. We're not in Jesus' boat. Is Jesus in your boat? Have you invited him in? And I think the boat is illustrative of our lives. Have you asked Jesus into your life? Have you surrendered lordship to him? Is he the captain of your boat? And if he's not on your boat, then maybe you should be afraid. But if he's on your boat, you can be terrified of that person and terrified there is in awe and wonder of our Lord and Savior who is more powerful than all the forces of nature. And in that, you can have peace because you know that nothing in this world uh, is more powerful than he is and you can be safe. I'm going to turn the, uh, over to Bill, to Pastor Bill, to close the service. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, be sure to keep tuned in as we post different videos throughout the week. And we'll be back next week. Pastor Jimmy is going to be sharing also on uh, how to respond uh, in a faith-filled way to this pandemic. Pastor Bill.